This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. We haven't it talked feels since... Like I, yeah, I was just going to say that. We haven't. I've been so busy. You've been busy. And I we, apologize for that. We didn't get to talk about the sailing. No. We didn't, but we did get to talk about my thesis, so that's good. Hey. That's good. We have been talking about that. And who are we introducing today? Today it is my great pleasure to introduce someone that we've been talking about with one of our other guests, and this is Joanna Sharp. Um, our listeners may remember that we spoke with Rich, who supported an absolutely remarkable woman on her massive adventure as she biked cycled from one end of the country to the other well we have her with us today joanna um thank you very very much for joining us today and welcome oh kiora thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be on welcome joanna where are you joanna I live in a place just south of Auckland called Clark's Beach. Um, I'm lucky enough to live between Clark's Beach and Coromandel Town in our beautiful Coromandel Peninsula. And um, I'm here in Clark's Beach this evening. And how was your bubble life? Goodness me. Um, By bubble life, are you referring to the bubble I forced myself into for six days when I cycled the length of New Zealand? Or would you be referring to our COVID bubble? Let's go for the COVID bubble. <laughs> Look, I'm very fortunate that I have a very patient partner. We decided at the beginning that we were all going to both create our own dance space, so to speak. Um, the general rule of thumb being me keeping out from under her feet, and that way we would remain married. And that worked very well. We're still together, so I take that as a win. And so you're at, at home? Did you? Well, you're clearly getting out and exercising. Did you get out and exercise during lockdown? I didn't. And the reason that I didn't is that um, I'm fortunate enough to to be sponsored a lot to ride my bike. And part of, I think, the positive message we wanted to get around was encouraging people to do the right thing. Whether you believed it to be the right thing or not, we were all being asked to stay home and stay safe. So um, I used it as an opportunity to spend a lot of time on what we call a virtual racing and training platform where we have a a machine that we attach our bike to and um, it simulates the um, the real world in various courses around the world so I spend a lot of time locked to a virtual bike looking at a tv screen breathing out of my ears because it was such hard work but um it was it was a great experience and I was actually able to set a couple of world records on the platform whilst we were in lockdown so use the time productively Sam it I have I still having I'm still having to do a double take when I see that somebody posts on 
on Strava or it makes it to Facebook or somewhere that they've been out cycling in the Pyrenees or something. And I think, how did they get there? Aren't they in lockdown? And I think, hang on. They haven't gone out of their no, kitchen. I, no, they haven't. Look, I think, of course, you know, lots of people did go outside and I'm certainly not judging. It was just a perspective that myself and Liv um, Racing, who kindly sponsored me last year, um, you know, we wanted to really encourage people to, to, you know, maybe try something a bit different and cycle from home. So, yes, I was one of those people checking out the Pyrenees, um, various places in America, and it, it was good fun. So you're riding along and it's changing the, the view according to where you are? It does. It's very technical, but effectively some clever person films a route, let's say in Barago Springs, California, and the app, um, amazing technology, thanks to a company called Full Gas, attaches that to you to the smart trainer that your bike's attached to. So when you go uphill, um, or when the person that's filmed the ride goes uphill, you are also going uphill. It changes the resistance on your trainer. So it's as near to real as you can make it. And in fact, when I set the um, a new 24-hour virtual world record in December of last year, I did that cycling a route in Barago Springs, California, that's been used by many a world record holder to set a distance and time challenge. And um, I, from the feedback that I get from speaking to other ultra cyclists who've done it, it was very reflective of the real world, other than maybe the temperature difference. You can't set it up to go downhill the whole time. Well, I did have someone suggest that we set it up with a tailwind. Um, but I don't know. I think but anything cycling-wise, when you're 20-odd hours deep, it feels like a headwind. So, okay, the obvious <laughs> question is why? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. I've often wished to myself that I was the female equivalent of Eddie Dawkins and that I was really good on the track and could sprint distances over two kilometres and beat everyone else. But unfortunately, um, I was not gifted with those particular muscle groups. So um, ultra distance cycling is just what I'm good at. And um, so that's, I guess, why it's my chosen sport. Um, but the particular event, which I think you spoke to um, my friend Rich Wyatt about, um, where we cycled the length of New Zealand um, in the fastest time to set a new world record, that was specifically to raise awareness for bowel cancer in New Zealand. You could just quite happily sit on the sofa and watch other people go cycling. Absolutely, of course you could. But then this is my this is my philosophy on life and, and we don't know each other too well yet, Sam, but um, you may think it's corny, but I feel, look, we can all do a thing. Everybody can do a thing. For me, I can ride a bike for a lot of hours and I have a pretty high pain threshold. So for me, if the thing I can do is riding a bike, then part of what I feel is about balance in life is about making a difference. And so for me, being able to sit on a bike for six days, um, people love a bit of punish and um, it gave people an opportunity to go oh my goodness that woman's crazy but it, it raised awareness and I think as a result of that we were able to hopefully really share the message of the signs and symptoms of bowel cancer we were able to raise awareness for bowel cancer in New Zealand and look Sam this is the tragic thing Mouldy men over the age of 50 and young women under the age of 30 are so overrepresented in bowel cancer statistics. And the sad thing is, it's our second largest cancer killer in New Zealand. But in very many, in fact, most cases, terminal diagnosis is preventable. Now, to me, that was just tragic. And having lost a very good friend myself to bowel cancer and having my own bowel cancer um, scare, 
it just occurred to me that that truly there's no reason for this to be the case. So I just chose to use the thing that I could do to raise awareness to hopefully save one person from going through a terminal diagnosis themselves. I'm going to come back and talk about the what's it called the long white ride. But first, let's have the first of your music choices. Let's have the chicks wide open spaces. Why this one? Well, I think for me, it just typifies everything that I wanted to achieve in life. I left the UK. I had my own adventure. I moved to New Zealand, the most beautiful country I'd ever visited in my life. And um, this was my wide open spaces. And it makes me think of my mum and all the things that she's wished for me in my life to go out and have an adventure. And if I can encourage anything for other people, especially young women, it's have your own adventure, be it in your own backyard or across the world. It really doesn't matter. But you can do it, too.
So Joanna, I'm a distance swimmer. I can swim pr pretty much indefinitely. But I, I swim in I swim in skin, so you do get start to get cold eventually. So that it does put a time limit on it. But I couldn't begin to think how you could do it day after day and <laughs> 18, 20 hours at a stretch. It is. So how did you build up to it? Let, let's get let's go for let's go for that. Like you raise such a good point, and I I think the first thing I'd say is you know what eighty more than eighty percent of it is a mental game, um. But I guess I would say how how did I build up to it? Well, it's probably three things. Firstly, um, training. You don't just kind of wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to cycle the length of New Zealand nonstop. Um, so, of course, you know, ultra distance cycling is, is my thing. Um, I've been building up to it probably for a few years and I've done a lot of domestic events like full laps of Taupo and the K4 and lots of things like that, which have sort of helped me build physical fitness. And I have a great coach, Dylan Stewart at Training Wheels. So he, he keeps me safe and free from injury. So that's probably the first part. Um, the second part is, of course, nutrition. You can't just do this by, you know, eating a couple of peanut butter jelly sandwiches so there's a reasonable amount of um of, of understanding that, about nutritional needs that takes place but thirdly it is about mental strength and i think for me tackling the long white ride i had i probably had a good 18 months to two years to be very very honest with myself about who i was how i dealt with different situations um how did i cope when things went tough and you know it it was a real soul searching experience sam because i think what i did know was if i wasn't truly honest with myself about how i was going to cope in various situations the wheels would fall off literally come about the halfway point so that also helped me to really understand what i needed from a support crew and when it comes to physically how did we do it the support crew were were everything i sat on a bike you know i got to sit down for a lot of days and just turn a few pedals but the crew was was absolutely fundamental they did everything from um driving the support wagon keeping me safe from vehicles talking in my ear the whole time telling me what was going on dealing with navigation keeping me hydrated keeping me fed we went from nearly 40 degrees in the middle of the day coming through taupo through to two degrees one degree at night going over the desert road there was such extremes in temperature that the crew had to deal with all of that and they had to ensure that i was you know kitted up properly um, and all of those things so understanding myself and how i dealt with things when when difficulties arose, when unforeseen circumstances happened, not only helped me prepare myself mentally, but helped me select a crew of people that had the skills I didn't. So I knew that physically, I had a really good understanding of myself and how I dealt with the physicality. But for example, I was unsure how I might deal mentally. I knew that there would be times when I would, um, I would hallucinate. That was a given. Um, there was the possibility of um, of mental um, episodes happening, and I did actually have a psychotic break. Actually, about um, eighteen or so hours before we finished. So, not knowing how I was going to deal with that, we made sure we had somebody on crew who was experienced mental health nurse. Um, we had Rich, who's a professional driver. We had a mechanic. My partner Jude was there to deal with. Let's just call them lady issues. There was an undercarriage situation, if we uh, keep it PC, 
that needed a lot of attending to over the space of six days. So it was important that I had somebody that wasn't going to, I joke about it, but who, who wasn't going to um, freak out when they saw me injured, when they saw me, you know, not coping with the situation. And so those were probably the three aspects I think that I had to really focus on to get right. But I think lastly, the thing I say to anybody is you've got to have a why. And I mean, winning is important. I mean, like, you know, lots of people like winning. Personally, I've never really been driven by a win. I mean, it's great momentarily, but that feeling passes. For me, the why was so much larger than what I was doing. It was about helping one family not experience a terminal diagnosis. And so it was easy for me to prepare myself for what was going to be a challenging week by keeping that forefront of mind. Did you actively think about staying positive or was it okay to go into some sort of zombie state where, where positive and negative didn't really apply? Um, yeah, good question. I look, I'd thought quite a lot and I've had a lot of help from some great motivational people um, that have helped me prepare for that. And I think the general rule of thumb is not to let something negative stick in your mind for longer than 30 seconds because it then starts to become permanent. But I think in the situation I was experiencing this time, Sam, um, bear in mind, I wasn't sleeping for more. I was only getting 45 minutes sleep a day for the six days. So there becomes a point that rational thought um, is not part of your physiology anymore. So you, you're actually incapable of really knowing what's going on around you. And you rely very heavily on people to tell you things. So part of it was the crew always always keeping positive so that I wasn't dwelling on things that were negative because I, I could have easily um, slipped into a mind space that I couldn't get myself out of. And it, I suppose it's quite hard to explain to somebody who's not experienced sleep deprivation, but it, it does bring on, um, you know, some, some serious mental health challenges, so to speak. So beforehand, I was focused on making sure that I lived in the moment. Um, it's probably fair to say that towards the end, when the pain was, it was real. It was a nine and a half out of 10 there for a good 18 or so hours. Um, and I, I did have an instance where I really did wonder to myself how I was gonna cope with that. But I think it was at that point that your mind does to a degree dissociate a little from, from the reality. And that's probably a blessing. And there was challenges I don't know what the weather was like, but there's things that are out of your control, like the weather, but also things that I suppose you know are coming, but mm. they still are going to hit you hard. Like you have to somehow get over Mount Cargill in Dunedin. Yeah. And that's unavoidable. Yeah, look, that that that's very true. I think that the way that we tackled that as a crew, and I say we because honestly, Sam, I was, and I have to make this point, I was one person out of a crew of six. I, I turned the pedals, but there was some other amazing people that made this happen. What we did know was that the only thing we could be sure of was that at least a hundred things unforeseen were going to go wrong. So we could plan for every eventuality and that was fabulous. But take, for example, the actual date we were supposed to start the long white ride um, was two weeks before, two weeks after we went into lockdown the first time back in 2020. So, you know, we could have never planned for that. 
And yet it meant that we had to reschedule a date for nine months later. So I'd already had to condition myself to 3 a.m. wake up calls for another nine months. That was unforeseen. So we knew that we could plan for a lot of things, but we had to be adaptable. And from my perspective, I had to be able to, when we got to the lighthouse in Cape Rianga, I had to hand over all responsibility to my crew. That we knew things were going to go wrong and we had to trust each other to deal with them on the fly and things would come up. But you know what? The one thing we knew for certain was that I was going to finish in bluff. We didn't know necessarily what was going to happen on the way. Things would go wrong. We didn't know exactly how long it would take, but we knew we were going to get there and we trusted each other to make those decisions as we needed to. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi aroha nui, kia koutou Hope you all have a best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved Joseph. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening with this journey, we're all on together, very reward, very sustaining, and I learn for you more and more each day who you are, of nature's art, perfect, yeah, making's better. Thank you. So as we all know, over the last several months, we've all moved through and so many shifts and change our lives. And it's so important for all of us to be kind to and allow for these shifts and changes and will manifest. I know that for many of us, the lockdown is a time great change. And having moved through an alert level over the last several months, now to be frolicking about in relative freedom, at relief all for us all. But the impact of all this we've had to make is still ongoing. Give one the space, the time, support to talk about this with the support that we need. So I really hope that for you and yourself, surrounded by love and support, and most importantly, you are able to give yourself the love and compassion. Now, I had a very interesting experience being asked to be a judge for an art show. We're in the throes of the Fringe Festival here in Naughty Porty Stunned, and I was asked to be a judge for a cat-focused art show. It was very exciting. And of course, having worked at Orokanui Eco Sanctuary for the last 12 years, it was also a great opportunity to speak with everybody about coexistence and what this means for us as time in our Aotearoanand. Of course, I also had the opportunity to speak about Pika Pika Bird Feeders, co-creator of. They're of course cat-proof bird feeders where birds can feed anywhere safely, looking all around them. So ambush predators like cats can't sneak them and pounce on them and gobble them up. Can with other bird feeders. And of course, Pika Bird Feeders are three, four, our native birds, either bellbird and tauhaw, the silver eye. So I gave one away as a prize. Something that I really enjoyed about experience, of course, was the ability for us all to share our love and appreciation for other life forms. Looking around the room, 150 artwork from 118 artists, and they were all expressing their love for cats and their connection with cats in different ways. And this is something that I love about art that it comes from a place within us that is so different from other parts of our conscious that's so free and it is so directed by love directed by our appreciation for the things that we see around us there was all sorts of different artworks this is something that i really love about the otago art society that they welcome all art to come in and be appreciated so there were huge sculptures there was textile works there was pastels and oils and 
stained glass, there's all sorts of everything that you could imagine. And of course for me it was hard to choose the five winners, but the wonderful man organising it said to me, just don't even think about it, just go for the ones that move you. And this was a wonderful experience. So I chose works that really showed the personality, the character for me of the subject. And it was a wonderful and very fascinating experience for me. So I hope that for you, you're being offered opportunities to speak about and demonstrate what you care about, what's meaningful to you, and that the notion of coexistence can be helpful to you at this time. And I look forward to talking to you too. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Joanna Sharp. When you embark on any, well, everybody's got their different process. I'm on a journey at the moment, which is finishing my doctorate. And I, I had a start and I've got an end and I've had to spend a lot of time imagining the journey and what the stages look like. Otherwise, I just hurts, it hurts my brain and my soul. Did you go through a similar process, like imagining the journey? Like how did you, how did that work for you? Yeah, I very much imagined. Um, I think I imagined a, a couple of things. I had obviously um, the main goal, which we've spoken about, was for bowel cancer New Zealand. But I had deep in my heart the whole way my very good friend Brett Mill, who passed away from bowel cancer just before um, lockdown last year. So as much as I um, had my imaginings, for me they were probably more centred on a, on a couple of aspects. One was the why that I spoke about before. Why am I doing this? Is anything more important than finishing it? No. Is any pain more important? No. Pain will pass, but the outcome will be forever. So that was one thing. Um, knowing how important it was to Brit and the goals that we'd set for ourselves, that, that was number two. Um, number three, though, was for me a journey of self-learning. Now, I'm, I'm not your youngest um, cyclist. I'm probably, I'm certainly not your youngest um, professional psychist. Yeah, I'm, I'm 46 this year. Um, and I still feel I've got an awful lot to learn about myself. And I, I truly wanted to know who I was when things got tough. You know how we always kind of think to ourselves, I'm going to be that person that's going to pull someone from in front of a car or, you know, if something terrible happens, I'm going to be there. Um, but we never actually know. And for myself, I wanted to know who I was and how I'd behave when things got hard. I wanted to be a leader of a team that I was proud of. I wanted to be the best version of myself. I wanted to be somebody that other young women and men, but particularly people who identify as female, could look at and be inspired by. And that was only going to happen if I kept a good head on my shoulders, kept a good attitude and remembered why this was important. So for me, my imaginings probably weren't as literal as you might think. Although we talk about Dunedin and there's a very big hill in Dunedin. My legs were quite tired by the time I got to Dunedin. There were some literal imaginings of getting to the top of that hill, I can tell you. And for reasons only known to, uh, to the locals, I actually had to climb it twice. But that's a different story we won't go into, Sam, because I'd like to uh, I'd like to keep my popularity in Dunedin because you never know, I might be back there. But it was a very challenging trip through that beautiful city and it's a very hilly place. So when you got to Bluff, when you got to the signpost at Bluff, did you stop immediately or, or was there a feeling of, I just need to carry on for a bit? <laughs> 
that's so funny because myself and my partner Jude have this rule and it's partly derived from humor partly because as a reward and partly because often when I finish an ultra distance race I'm not really aware of who I am and where I am and the rule is that I can't stop cycling until, until Jude tells me to stop now if you've ever been to Bluff there's a lot of water past the light uh past the lamppost so I was quite grateful that you did remind me that I was allowed to stop pedaling but um no I was pretty keen I look I'd been warming up for over 2200 kilometers so by the time I saw that lamppost I can tell you I was well and truly ready to sit on something an awful lot softer than the bike seat put my feet up um and not have to not have to pedal for a wee while to come so I stopped. The guys were amazing. We took lots of photos. There was um, heaps of people there, people who've um, lost family members to bowel cancer, um, cheering us through. Um, the local police were there. And um, I was very grateful to sit down and be handed a cold bottle of water and, and some ice for my legs. And how long did it take you to get back on a bike? <laughs> do you know how many people have said to me oh you're not going to want to ride your bike for a while well I actually love riding my bike I feel we should all do things that we love and not do things that we don't love so I had 12 days off um I laughed but physically I was um I wasn't in good shape and mentally um it was a good in all seriousness it was a good week before mentally um I really knew what was going on around me again so I had 12 days off the bike then I had an easy week um, and then the following week was a few more sort of um, concerted efforts and now I'm back to full training. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as long as you'd think, probably. Are you back to full training because there's another goal? There is. I've been very fortunate um, to be sponsored now. I'm really putting a focus on keeping it local and um, buying New Zealand and really being proud of our New Zealand heritage. So I'm very fortunate to be sponsored by a New Zealand founded company called Chapter Two that make high end bespoke bikes together with a local um, bike shop, um, amazing mechanic, uh, Benny, who's opened a bike shop in Auckland called Benny's Bike Shop because really um, exciting name, but great. Um, and together with a New Zealand clothing company called Toot Kit that make New Zealand cycling kit. Um, the reason for that is I've been very fortunate to have gained a bit of notoriety, um, especially in America and Europe because of some previous records that I've set. There. So I'm taking it as a great opportunity to really kind of push the New Zealand um, craftsmanship and encourage people to to keep it local. And, you know, we can all we can all actually be proud of what we produce here. So as a result of that. Yes, we've got a number of goals this year. I'm doing um, some events around New Zealand between now and at the end of May. So I'll be in beautiful Coromandel. I'll be racing down in Palmerston North. I'll be taking on um, an endurance race down in Lake Brunner in the South Island. And then um, we'll do some virtual racing with some international competitors from America in particular over winter. Then um, we've got TBC, should I say, um, two record attempts, one taking place just before Christmas, uh, slightly shorter, and one of equal enormity taking place in March of next year. So that's why I'm sort of back into things. But the focus for me at the moment is about having fun. I'm really looking forward to getting out with some New Zealand, um, with some good Kiwi cyclists, um, doing some great events um, around the country over the next few months. And 
yeah, just having fun. I'm sure there'll be a target on my back. So I'm looking forward to particularly the boys who always seem to want to beat the girls um, going out there and giving me a run for my money. They can get me fit again whilst I try and chase them down the track. So you have family in, in I was going to say in Europe, but it's not Europe anymore, is it? It's the UK. Oh, that's right. Uh, well, it's still and geographically yes, Europe, isn't it? How are they reacting to the well just the fact that you're able to get out and do it when when they're in been in lockdown pretty much constantly for since this time last year yeah look it's probably been um a mixed emotions because my mum and dad um are just beautiful people um they're in their 70s now so obviously in the uk that's been a vulnerable category they've been asked to stay isolated so they have been on their own for a very long time so i think in lots of ways i've provided much entertainment but i'm not sure whether yourself um whether either of you have families but um i'm sure if you do there's also a sense of terror fear um, that comes with your children taking on anything that seems as ridiculous as my goals. So yeah, I think I've kept them both awake at night a lot. Um, they dot watched all the way through the long white ride. <laughs> I don't think my poor dad got to sleep at all because mum had him up in shifts to check the app to see where I was in New Zealand. So it's provided entertainment and fear. I think they're, um, they're glad I'm not doing anything now for a wee while. Slightly terrified about the goals that come towards the end of the year but um no they've enjoyed it look they're super proud um which is which is lovely my 11 year old son jack um who absolutely loves to mountain bike it's the thing that matters to him more than anything um i told him what you'd done and he said did she do it on a mountain bike (laughs) i said i don't think she did no no you know what what is your son's name jack Jack, sorry, I missed that bit. Jack, so now you, what you can tell Jack is there is actually a race very similar to what I did, although people take a lot longer doing it, where they cycle the length of New Zealand on their mountain bikes and they carry everything with them. So maybe when Jack's 22, not 11, he might be the next person to go and give that a go. And he's the kind of person that probably would. But he was so blown away by your achievement that that somebody could do that and and he just and i'm passing that on to you because when an 11 year old stands with his mouth open in absolute shock for such a thing then you should know that (laughs) that is incredibly kind and very touching thank you please say to him that means an awful lot and i think look if we as grown-ups can encourage younger people to think big you know as you're doing with your doctorate let's be honest But if we can encourage people to think big and go out and make their goals and dreams happen, there's nothing that we can't do. It's just our own limitations. So that's I I really take that as a compliment. Thank you so much. Well, I I love having people who inspire my boy and and you're yeah, you're really inspirational. Oh, bless you. That's incredibly kind. I'm going to squeeze in the second of your music choices. Lizzo, good as hell. Why this one? Look, you know, you've just got to celebrate womanhood. And this is of no, this is not meant as any negativity towards the boys either. But I think, you know, there's something very empowering about women feeling good about themselves. I believe that there's enough sunshine for everyone, Sam. And as women or those that identify as female, we should really just celebrate each other. And that's what I like about this song. It's just about feeling good. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Good Check my nails, baby, how you feeling? Woo, child, tired of the bullshit, gone, dust your shoulders off, keep it moving. 
sushi Come now, come dry your eyes You know you a star, you can touch the sky I know that it's hard, but you have to try If you need advice, let me simplify If he don't love you anymore Just walk your phone Joanna, you were talking about making goals and dreams come true. Where is the horizon line for you in terms of possibility and impossibility? You don't want to. You, you don't want to. You don't want to try for something that's just not going to happen. Oh, see, now I disagree with that. I think if we achieve all of our goals, then we've not set the bar high enough. I think that look. I'm very fortunate. I was adopted as a baby by beautiful parents, my mum and dad. And my dad brought me up to believe. He said to me, and it's very Welsh accent, you can have anything you want in life, my love, as long as you work hard enough for it. And coming from the background I came from, um, to hear somebody say that and believe in me really resonated with me. And I still hold that as being true now. I think that if you want something hard enough and you're prepared to work for it, Assuming, of course, that you're fortunate to be able to connect with good people who are going to support you. And that, to me, is really important for myself, giving back and helping others who actually want to achieve goals themselves. But if you can have those things and connect the dots there, then I don't think anything is impossible. So for me, um, I'd really love to um, I'd love to be able to be the first Kiwi woman to compete in the race across America, which is the 5000 kilometers uh, coast to coast. Look, with COVID, that makes it difficult. But hey, we've got a big neighbor across the ditch from us. Um, she's called Australia. She's pretty big, too. So, you know, maybe I can be the first woman to cycle coast to coast or north to south in Australia. Who knows? I think um, as long as you're enjoying what you're doing, you're doing it for the right reasons and not because you feel 
feel you should. Um, and that for me, as long as I continue to enjoy it, I'm going to set the bar higher and higher. I can't tell you, Sam, how many people did not think I was going to complete the long white ride. And when I finished, the amount of people that said to me, goodness me, Joe, I have to say, I didn't think you'd do it. But I don't take that as an insult. That to me is just human nature. So by me doing something like that, maybe it's made some, maybe there's some other crazy girl out there who's thinking to herself, goodness, I could do that faster. Good on her. That would be brilliant. And then you would probably want to beat that. Well, maybe. I don't know. I think that sometimes doing something first and giving somebody else um, a reason to see the impossible as possible, that to me is just as rewarding as being the fastest or the fourth person ever, the first woman, whatever. If it encourages somebody else, that's pretty cool. We've seen lots of societal change over the last year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Look, I'm a bit of a rose-tinted glasses person, Sam, um, has to be said. I kind of quit life about two years ago and walked away from the corporate world, um, deciding that, you know, there was, in my opinion, more I wanted to do in life than just chase the dollar. So um, you're probably going to think it sounds quite corny. But for me, um, you know, saying there is enough sunshine for everyone being more positive about the achievements of others, supporting each other, holding each other up a bit more. I hope that these are things that some of the changes in the last 12 months will, will keep dear to our hearts. It's hard to know because we've been very fortunate in New Zealand that we've managed to keep many of our freedoms. But yeah, that would be my hope. I think that if we can just see each other a little bit more as human beings, you know, we all bleed the same. Um, there's many reasons why people may not have a smile on their face on a certain day or may appear judgmental on a certain day. We don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. So if we could just be a little bit gentle and to use an overused term, I suppose, be a bit kind, then um, I think that would be a really good thing. But we can only change ourselves. We can't be responsible for how somebody else behaves. So my view on life myself is I'm going to behave the way that feels good to me. And if that resonates with someone else and that sunshine brings somebody else to maybe um, a similar place and that they resonate the same back, then that's fabulous. But I can only be responsible for how I behave at the end of the day. And that's all we can do. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to be quickish. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Do you mean on the bike or? I mean anything you like. Wow, biggest success. Um, well, the biggest success on the bike would probably be having completed the long white ride. The biggest success um, as a person is probably being brave enough to step away from the corporate world and sacrifice all that came with that and um, live a life that's a little bit more true and honest. Um, I think having survived lockdown and still my partner still chooses to be my partner I think that's something I'm quite proud of um but yeah I think really um I don't know that's that's quite a varied list of things to be proud of I suppose it's probably not a great answer Sam you're probably looking for something very profound that sounds pretty profound we are writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you are in the team what's the superpower that's got you into the mansion 
Oh, my superpower is my mental strength. That is my superpower. I say it all the time when people ask me, how do you get up at 3 a.m. every morning, train, then do a full-time job, commute into Auckland? It's my mental strength. That is a superpower right there, I tell you. Are you do you fall into bed quite early, though? I like to. It doesn't usually happen, <laughs> no. though, does it? But then I think to myself, look at all those amazing, strong um fathers mothers grandparents who are raising children i don't i don't have little ones waking me up at two in the morning so i probably shouldn't complain do you consider yourself to be an activist an activist oh goodness that's um that's interesting you know i've never been asked that question before and i can't say i've ever thought about it i think i'm just somebody that's passionate about what i believe in i want the best for people and for whatever reason um people seem to occasionally listen to things i have to say and i think that comes with responsibility um i choose to not be divisive i choose to not be political um i choose to not say things that i think may cause offense and that doesn't mean i don't think things but for me it's about what i choose to share i would never want to be seen as somebody who offended another person when i didn't need to so I don't know. I suppose it depends on how you view an activist, really. I may be an activist for gentleness, kindness, honesty, but probably not somebody that's divisive. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed at three o'clock in the morning? I have to say I am a very, very self-motivated person. Um, but first and foremost, I really do believe and when my dad said, you can have anything you want in this world, my love, as long as you work for it. I really do feel that we all actually do have the ability to make a difference. I'm blessed with great family and friends. And that gives me self-confidence to be able to go out into the world and do things. And that's that's what I can do. So what gets me up in the morning is the hope that by getting up and doing something, Maybe somebody who's not got confidence in themselves, who doesn't think that things are as possible as maybe I do, might just grab a little bit of that and um, and make something good happen for their day. So, you know, that. And, of course, I, mean, I do have the world's best partner. So the other thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is earning some money. You know, that's that. Yeah, you've got to be realistic about life. It's not all, it's not all um, you know, beautiful goals and, you know, it's sometimes it's just about paying the bills. So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? Well, the biggest challenge I think for me is actually probably of a self-discovery nature. Like I learned a lot from the long white ride about things that maybe I could improve on with myself. Um, and I really do want to personally grow a lot more in the space of, I think, my mental toughness. There were some situations that I didn't feel I coped with as well as I could. And I'd really like to do some improvement on that, ready for some challenges that I've got set for later in the year. Um, but for me, I think what I really want to achieve this year is a bit of a mixture. I've got some I've, I've been blessed with the ability to have some exposure and for people to kind of hear my voice. And for me, the more that I can kind of share the message of not firstly for bowel cancer in New Zealand, which is really important, but secondly, just for encouraging particularly women or those who identify as female to just be a little brave and, and get out and try something for themselves. And anybody who wants to or does already follow me on social media, I am your cheerleader somebody who's got a goal, something they want to make happen and they don't know how to do it, 
I'm that person. I've I've got your back. And so for me this year, I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit more about giving back um, and a little bit less about taking from the amazing people who've helped me in the last 12 months. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh my goodness. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not the queen. I'm not Jacinda Ardern. I don't know that anybody should be listening to me for advice as such, but um, I guess, yeah, my, my goodness, for what it's worth, my piece of advice would be believe in yourself more. Um, be kind and gentle to others and, and live your, you live your truth. Just be true to who you are. Thank you for that. Moira. Joanna, thank you for being such a wonderful inspiration and, and for this great thing that you've done and all the people that you will inspire with your next deeds as well. We need more people in the world like you and it's been a real pleasure to hear you tonight and to have the opportunity to just be inspired by you. So good luck with the next stage, the next challenge and all the best. Now we've got lots of You are so desperately kind. Thank you. We have got lots of options for the outro because there is a lot of biking songs. I thought there was a lot of swimming songs, but there's a lot more biking songs. So here's the choices. Queen, bicycle race. Mungo Jerry, push bike song. Pink Floyd bike. Nazareth, my white bicycle. Pixies have got a bike song, Tony's thing. Or Madness riding on my bike. I have absolutely no idea. They all sound awesome. I didn't know that the, the B-side to Riding in My Car by Madness was a biking song. Well, hey, let's go with that then. You don't know it, it's going to be... There's gonna be a lot of other madness fans out there who are gonna go, I didn't play that. I'm raising for a charity. Sponsors come running to me. I've learned to cut that yellow line and park my bike there any time. No minute, money for the meat to men, the road takes up to pay to them. The petrol pump's been blown sky high. My MOT's now up for
their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and in Clark's Beach, south of Auckland, Joanna Sharp. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.